Well, good morning. morning. Kevin and Kathy are in sunny Florida today, and so you're stuck with me leading the service. A couple of announcements as we get started. Things have moved around on the bulletin a little bit. Um, Announcements are on the back. Um, Just a couple of dates to keep in mind as we move towards Easter, which is about a month away now. Uh, The week before Easter... Uh, Traditionally, we've had a a Monday-Thursday service that week and not a Good Friday service. So things are changing a little bit this year. We're trying something a little bit different. That Monday-Thursday, we have prayer meeting Thursday night, so we will gather for prayer. It'll be kind of Monday-Thursday focused, but not the same kind of service we usually do. Um, And then Friday, Good Friday, we're we're actually hosting a joint service with a couple of other churches here. Uh, For Good Friday, that's 6 p.m., on March 29th. Um, so mark your calendars for that. That'll be a, that'll be a sweet service. Um, and then we're, we're doing our typical things on Easter Sunday. So we'll have our sunrise service, 6 a.m., bright and early for those of you who can make it, with breakfast, a potluck breakfast afterwards, and our Easter worship service at 10.30. No Sunday school on Easter Sunday. So keep those things in mind. Put them on your calendar. Um, any announcements I'm missing? Jane. We have to return the baby bottles this week, so I'll be taking them away. Thank okay. You. Are we missing any? Um, I think we might be missing three. Okay. If you... Okay, great. All right. Well, if, if you are the one missing baby bottle for the donating to the Zoe Women's Center, um, return at any time. Uh, change or no change, they want the bottle back. Uh, I think is how, how that works. Anything else this morning? All right. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father, we are so grateful to be able to gather together Grateful to be here together as a church family. Grateful to be in your presence. We're grateful, Father, for your love. We're grateful, Lord Jesus, for your gift in giving yourself in your death and resurrection, for the hope we have in you. We're thankful, Holy Spirit, for your presence with us and among us. And we ask that as we look to to your word, as we pray, as we sing, God, that you would be at work among us that you'd meet each of us precisely where we are. And uh, Lord, that you would uh, convict us if we are in sin, that you would encourage us if we are downhearted, that you would lift us up, Lord, and bring each of us closer to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll begin with our, our call to worship, which is now on the inside of your bulletin. So if you open up your bulletin, we've got the whole order of service right there. Um, And I ask you to stand with me for our call to worship, and it'll be a call and response, so you can respond with the underlined words. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. For he has not despised or abhorred. 
and he has not hidden his face from him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. All the ends of the earth shall remember, and all the families of the nations. For kingship belongs to the Lord. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Posterity shall serve him. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. Amen. If you could remain standing and open the uh, green book to number 130. This is Psalm 130, Lord from the Depths. singing. You may be seated. At this time, I'll have the uh, ushers come forward to take the morning offering. Would you offer a blessing? Father our God, we thank you for another day that you have created. We thank you for life and the abundant life that we have through your son Jesus. We thank you for this opportunity where we can worship. 
Amen. Our scripture reading this morning will be found in Ezekiel, the book of the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 37. Ezekiel 37, and we'll read verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is the word of God. I ask you to stand with me now, and you can open the blue hymnal, the blue book in front of you to number 104. 104, O Worship the King. We'll sing all five verses. is his power. 
All hail to the King, in splendor enthroned. Glad praises we bring, thy wonders make known. Returning victorious, great conqueror of sin, King Jesus, all glorious, our victory will win. Amen. If you can turn to number 309, I will sing of my Redeemer. He sealed 
my pardon, paid the debt and made me free. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to take some time to go to the Lord now together in prayer. All right, let's go to the Lord together. We worship you, God. We worship you, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that you who are the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, we praise you that by, by you all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, that everything that was created was created through you and for you. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that you who were in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but that you emptied yourself, taking the form of a servant. What a joy we we have, Lord Jesus, in knowing that you, the Son of God, came to us to fallen humanity, that we might be reconciled to you, we might be reconciled to God, that there might be peace by the blood of the cross. And it's our joy, Father, having trusted in Jesus, having believed in the cleansing power of the cross, to come to you as as ones who have been forgiven and to come to you in Jesus' name, no longer in in, in sin and in darkness, but as beloved children of the Father. As we come to you, Father, and into your presence, we are aware that we are prone to stray. If we are like sheep and you are like our shepherd, then we are, we are very prone to stray like lost sheep. Even this week, Lord, we confess we have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your law, that we've done things which we ought not to have done, and that we haven't done things we ought to have done. And apart from your grace, we confess, Lord, there is no health in us. And so we ask that you would have mercy on us, that you would spare all those who confess their faults, that you would restore us who come to you in repentance according to the promises you've given us in Jesus. And we ask, Father, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would grant to us to live an increasingly godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your name. Let's take a moment to be quiet before the Lord and and confess our sins to him.
Father, we are grateful to come to you and to hear your word from Psalm 103 with this welcome. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. We, we are grateful, Lord, that when we come to you in true repentance, trusting in you, Lord Jesus, that you greet us not with, not with wrath, but with grace. That you greet us not with a hard heart, but with all the welcome of the abundant goodness of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love, Heavenly Father, which is for us. We ask that you'd transform us day by day as increasingly we, we come to know the love you have for us. Father, we think finally this morning of our brothers and sisters all over the world who are worshiping today. We're grateful to, to be joining that song as churches gather around the world on this resurrection day, worshiping our resurrected Savior. We think especially of our brothers and sisters who are worshiping in places where, where they face persecution, danger, uh, f for gathering publicly to worship and, and uh, even for holding the faith privately. We ask, Lord, that you'd strengthen them and uh, that even as they face the tribulation of this world, that they would take heart in knowing, Lord Jesus, that you have overcome the world. We pray that you would keep them faithful and that even in the face of much difficulty that they would have great joy. And we pray, Lord, the same for us, that as we face the difficulties and trials which you bring before us, that you would give us strength to trust in you and to know that despite the tribulation we may face, you have overcome this world. And help us to trust in you and to rejoice in you even in the midst of all of it. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we give you all the glory. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's pray together as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, before we go to the word, let's sing together one more time from the blue hymnal. I ask you to stand and open to number 408. How firm a foundation.
The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Amen. You may be seated. Good singing this morning. As we go to the Word, you can open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Book of Ephesians chapter 1, that's page 917 in your pew Bibles, 917, Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll be looking this morning at verses 3 through 14, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. There are moments in life when we become absolutely overwhelmed in one moment with a sense of blessing with a sense of goodness. The picture in my mind is of going down the stairs on Christmas morning as a kid and looking and seeing, even on the lean years, that's all for us, all this goodness, right? Or or Thanksgiving, right? And gathering with like the, the big family gathering when it's the whole extended family and you see just pie after pie after pie come in the door and then they're all laid out on the table And it's like, this is all for us. We get to eat all this pie, this goodness, right? Weighed down with blessing. And there's moments in the Christian life when when we we have a sense of this in terms of the spiritual blessings we have in Jesus. There's some moments when the blessing of God kind of hits us over the head. It's like, wow, how good. How good. There's other times when all the blessings which we have in God don't seem to hit us over the head. They seem maybe somewhat far away or distant or, or dull. And, and it's, in, it's in those moments we actually have to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. And that's exactly what we, what we have this morning in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. In Ephesians, 3, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, basically what the Apostle Paul does for the Christians he's writing to and for us by extension is to bring us down the stairs and point us at the tree. Say, look, look at all you have in Christ. He's, going to, he's just going to be opening gift after gift and saying, look, this is yours, and this is yours, and this is yours. Look at all the goodness God has given you in Jesus. And the end of it all, the point of it all for Paul, is that we would worship with a sense of all the goodness that God has given us in Jesus, that we would turn our eyes and faces to him and praise him. And so that's my my prayer for us this morning, is as we read this passage and work through it, that we would have a real sense of who God is, of what he's done for us in Christ, of his eternal plan in Jesus Christ, uh, and that we would worship him in all of this. So 
Uh, I'm actually going to ask you to stand uh, for the reading of the word this morning. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Our Father and our God, as we come to your word, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, My main idea this morning is this, and it's on the bulletin insert, or you can write it down or not. But it's my outline, so if you're interested in following along. The eternal plan of God is for the blessing of his chosen people in Jesus Christ all to his glory. The eternal plan of God is for the blessing of his chosen people in Jesus Christ all to his glory. Paul's opening note, verse 3, blessed be God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He opens just with this trumpet blast of praise. God is so good. That's what he wants us to see. Blessed be God. Maybe you know some people like that. They're constantly saying praise God. They're kind of like chipper and kind of annoying like that, right? It's like they're constantly like happy about God. It's like, why, why is it that people are like that? Right? Why, is it that why is it that people are like that? It's because they're constantly thinking about the goodness of God. Right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What Paul is seeing is, look at how much God has given us. He says, every spiritual blessing. One translator translates in the heavenly places as in the high heavenlies. Every spiritual blessing that heaven has to give, God has given us in Jesus Christ. God is not a stingy giver. We should not think of God this way. 
Sometimes we can think of God wrongly in this way, right? That God is kind of like he, it's, he's, he's got like little tokens of blessing that he, that he gives out like when we really need them and ask really nicely. It's like, no, that's not what God has done. He's actually, again, Paul's showing us the Christmas tree, saying, look at all that God has given you, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he's gonna spend the rest of the passage outlining what, what some of those are. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In verse 4, we read, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And so there's, there's two sort of twin emphases that we see throughout this passage. The blessing of God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's blessed us even as he chose us. So it's blessing according to his sovereign will. Right? So Paul's lifting up two things as, as glorious in this passage, right? The blessings of God he's given us in Jesus and God's eternal and sovereign plan over all history. Remember, my main idea this morning, the eternal plan of God is for the blessing of his chosen people in Jesus Christ, all to his glory. We see this theme throughout the passage. We read in verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And then down in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of of his will. And so the, the picture we receive of, of God here is not of kind of like the little pagan deities who have a little bit of power and they can help you out when you're in a pinch, but they're not really over all of it. The picture we receive is of a God who is sovereign over all things. A God who, according to Paul, works all things. That's comprehensive. According to the counsel of his will. You encounter here a, a, a big God, a God who is God, a God who reigns. And this raises all kinds of questions for us. Um, it's interesting, this is, in this passage, Paul is not wrestling with the idea of God's sovereignty. He's just stating it and celebrating it. There are places elsewhere in scripture where Paul wrestles with this idea of God's sovereignty because because it raises all kinds of questions for us, doesn't it? Um, the idea that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Questions like, well, often for many of us, like specifics. Well, if God works all things according to the counsel of his will, why did he let this happen? And we could go all day with lists like that. And, and basically the, the question kind of boils down to, well, if, if God is sovereign in this way, can he be trusted? And in some ways, when we come to passages like this, for some of us, the knee-jerk reaction might be like kind of fear. Like, can anyone be trusted with all that power to work all things according to the counsel of his will? Because so many people who exercise power that we encounter in this world are tyrants and can't be trusted. And so I want to say a couple of things Again, he's not wrestling with the idea of sovereignty, so we're not gonna spend the whole time on this, but it's here, and so these questions come up, and so I wanna, th I wanna think through this in a couple of ways. 
first of all, I would say, there's a way in which when we come to the teaching of Scripture that God is sovereign over all things, a part of the right response is to humble ourselves before God that he is God and we are not. That a part of our reaction against this idea of God's comprehensive sovereignty can be a desire that we would like to kind of know everything before it all works itself out. We'd kind of like to be in the place of giving our approval to the sovereign plan and we're kind of uncomfortable with the idea of of something being above our pay grade. And so there's something of the humility of the Christian where we are actually called to trust in a God whose plan is higher than ours and in many ways beyond our comprehension, many ways mysterious. But he doesn't call us to blind faith. I don't know if any of you as kids had siblings or cousins who would say, close your eyes. Close your eyes. It's like, no, I am not going to close my eyes. Close your eyes. I have, some, I have something I want you to try. Open your mouth. No. Nope. I know you. I don't trust you. Right? I know you're not up to any good. That's not the kind of faith that God calls us to. Right? I, I, I think the faith that God calls us to might be conceptualized more like your mom, and there's something really good smelling in the kitchen, and she's like, I made something, I want you to try it, close your eyes. You can trust her, unless your mom was a prankster. But, but, but God is trustworthy in this way, and he's trustworthy because we can actually smell the aroma in the kitchen. We may not know exactly what he's made. We are not privy to the eternal plan of God in all its detail. We will never be. If, you, if we have to wait to trust the sovereign God, if, if we have to wait until we understand everything in, in order to trust him, we'll, we'll never trust him. But the, the wonder of the gospel is that God has actually revealed to us, he's actually shown us his cards. He's actually shown us something at the center of his eternal plan, which actually should lead us to trust him and trust his heart. And that's what, that's what the apostle Paul speaks about in verse Verse 9, that God has made known to us the mystery of his will. Not explained comprehensively every mystery, but he's explained this one. This one's come out into the open. He's put his cards down on the table. Look, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. So God has a plan. This architecture of history. And, and what God has revealed to us is that actually Jesus is the plan for the fullness of time. Jesus is the center point and uniting figure of all of history. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. And what's the plan? What's, what's the Father doing in sending the Son into the world? to unite all things in him. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. I think we can think about this in a couple of ways. What does it mean that God is uniting all things in Jesus? I think there's one way in which we should understand that 
God's work in Jesus is the, it's the literal crux of history. It's the center point. It's all roads lead there. Everything, everything has always been about Jesus. It's all, the, all of the lines that we see weaving through history, they all interconnect. They all come together. They're all united in Jesus. This is why even as we've been reading Genesis the last couple of years, again and again we're seeing all of this is, it's all moving forward to Jesus. Christ is the center of God's plan. But there's more going on in this uniting. Paul says uniting things in heaven and things on earth. Heaven to earth. What does it mean to unite heaven to earth? What is heaven but the dwelling place of God? What is earth but the dwelling place of man? Is there anything dividing heaven and earth, God and man? Sin. There's a lot dividing heaven and earth, and it's, and it's not on God, it's on us. We've turned our faces away from him. Like Adam and Eve, we've all, we've all walked into the darkness. And God, I... I'm not sure I want to walk in your light. I'm not sure I want to walk in your law. I think I'm going to go my own way. This is what we've all done. A rift has occurred. And what happened to Adam and Eve after they, were, they sinned? They're cast out of the garden, out of the presence of God. And it's this wound which is at the bottom of, it's the fundamental rift of our hearts. We long for heaven. We long for God. We long to know him. And God's perfect plan in Jesus Christ is the reconciliation of heaven and earth, uniting heaven and earth, bringing us back to God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We'll, talk, we'll flesh that out more later. The thing I want us to see right now, again, our question is, if God works all things according to the counsel of his will, and there's a lot that we don't understand, why should we trust him? And I think the reason we should trust him is because of Jesus Christ. Because whatever else, whatever God's plans are, that he's working through history and working through our lives, we can know that he loves us because of Jesus. Because in our sin and in our darkness and in our brokenness, God did not abandon us. But actually his central plan that he weaves through all of history is the blessing of his people in Jesus Christ. That actually at the center of history, we find, in a true sense, God on a cross. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, giving his life for us. This is love. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is love. The Son of God on the cross, giving his life for us. This is is a God who can be trusted. The aroma of love is in this kitchen. Verse 3 again, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him for the foundation of the world. He's writing to Christians and using the first person plural, he's saying we, we were chosen before the foundation of the world. He's saying if you're a Christian, this is true of you, that God chose you before the foundation of the world in Christ. 
And that can be a wonderfully comforting thing from one angle. Like, wow, God knew me, loved me, individually chose me before the foundation of the world. But again, it raises questions, right? Um, If you're left with even more questions than I've had time to answer after this sermon, I'm happy to field them. Or you can listen to the sermon series from last summer. We talked through some of these issues as we walked through the statement of faith. Um, Those sermons are available online. But maybe the most common question whenever this word comes up, right? Election, predestination, choosing. It's like, well, how can I know I'm in? And the fear is like, well, what if I follow Jesus my whole life and then at the end of my life I find out I'm not chosen? And the reality is that's that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. And we can see this in, in the way the Apostle Paul changes, changes the way he uses personal pronouns. In verse 11, he says this, In him we have an, obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Who, we who were to the f- first to hope in Christ. He's referring to a subset of Christians, saying we were, we were kind of the first ones there. Paul's referring to himself in that group. So perhaps this is the, the Jews who believed in the Messiah before the Gentiles were brought in. Perhaps this is just the first generation, the apostles. But Paul's saying there's this, this one group we were first to believe. And then he changes, right? Verse 13, in him you also, you too, pointing to presumably a number of Gentile believers, You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. He says, you're part of this too. And how do they know they're a part of it? Is it because there's some secret list somewhere that we have access to? Who has God chosen? Above our pay grade. What Paul does give assurance is that you who heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you heard the good news of Jesus, and what happened? You believed in him, and you were sealed. And this is so important that we understand what this means. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, right? Eternal heavenly blessing is our inheritance. What's the seal of our inheritance? The guarantee, it's like the down payment, the the deposit, right? It's actually the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so all Paul is describing here is what happens to every Christian when they come to know Jesus. Hear the good news of the gospel. You trust in Jesus. And then you're filled with the very presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. You find that your heart has changed. You find that you are awake to sin in new ways. You, you find that the, the, the word of God is alive in ways that you never realized before. You find yourself trusting in Jesus, right? being led by the Holy Spirit of God. And Paul says that's actually the deposit, that's the guarantee. Do you wanna know you belong to Jesus? Well, there's a spirit in you. He says, well then, you're part of this. And this is, this is sort of the, 
This is the mystery of all of this. Again, so much is beyond our pay grade. It's like when we come to Jesus, I've heard the illustration used before. I think Pastor Steve used this illustration, right, of the gate, right? And on one side, it's, 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 it's written, um, come to me, right? All you are weary and heavy laden, right? Or the, the promise of Jesus, all who come to me, I will never cast out. Right? That's the invitation. Come, come. And we sing that hymn, right? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. We come to that moment, right? And walk through, and then all of a sudden, we open our Bibles, and we look back, and on the other side of the gate, is written, chosen before the foundation of the world, right? which is true. They're both true. Um, it's sort of the wonderful, wonderful, surprising thing we find, having come to know God, feeling as if we've kind of been grasping for him, is actually, well, in finding God, I've actually been found by him. He's actually been looking for me all along. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The eternal plan of God is for the blessing of his chosen people in Jesus Christ all to his glory. What is that blessing? What does it mean that we who know the Lord Jesus have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Well, he begins to lay this out. Um, verse four, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Holy and blameless is the first thing we're told. What does it mean to be holy and blameless? It means to be, means to be cleansed. It means to be morally pure. It means that all the darkness of our hearts is going to be removed. How does that happen? How does Jesus give us that blessing? Well, Paul explains in verse seven, in him we have redemption. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. How is it that the Lord cleanses of, of, of sin? This is why the cross is at the center of history. It's because it's through the cross. We are redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. To redeem is to buy back. It's payment language, redemption, ransom, a price has been paid. Um, Paul uses similar language in Romans 6 when he talks about the wage of sin. Right? What do we you can ask it this way, what do we deserve as a result of our sin? Paul says the wages of sin is death, right? What have we done in sin? We've turned from God and said, I'm not interested in the light. I'm actually more interested in the darkness. I'm not interested in you, God, the light of life. I'm gonna figure it out on my own. There's a way in which um, death and hell is simply God saying, okay, have it your way. What is life apart from God? It isn't. It isn't. The wages of sin is death. This is the just punishment for our sin. And Christ on the cross bears the wrath of God in our place. This is what Christ did. He paid our price. He died our death. He bore our sin. He pays the price. An eternal debt that we owed, he pays. He says, I'll take it, I'll pick up the tab. 
I'll pay the ransom. I will be the redemption in my body on the cross. That's what Jesus has done for us. So that in him we have redemption. The price has been paid. This is what we mean when we say that death no longer has any hold on us. He died in our place. There is no condemnation anymore for our sin because he's, he's taken it upon himself. On the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Every sin on him was laid. This is redemption. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So that when God looks at us, he no longer sees our sin, he sees the righteousness of Christ. In that sense, we've already been made, in verse four, holy and blameless before him. And there's a way in which as we grow in Christ, we'll be increasingly conformed to his holiness and to his righteousness. And one day, one day when we are in his presence and we see him face to face, we will be like him. We struggle with the darkness of our hearts that clings on in this life. Even after knowing Christ, throughout our whole, the whole of our lives, sin will still be a struggle. The darkness will still hang on in ways, but one day we'll be free of it. One day we will be made holy and blameless before him. That's a wonderful promise. The eternal plan of God is for the blessing of his chosen people in Jesus Christ, all to his glory. Already we've heaped up mountains of blessing. What has God given us in Jesus Christ? Well, we who are far from him, we who are strangers, we who are rebels against him, in, G in the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be reconciled to him, our sins removed, death no longer a threat, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is incredible, right? Freedom from the darkness, the promise of life and eternal light. But Paul goes further. He says, but what, just wait, there's more. Of course, all of this is undeserved. What do we deserve? Not, none of this. But what has God given us? All of us, all of this. That's why Paul is constantly saying, to the praise of his glorious grace. According to the riches of his grace, grace is undeserved favor. It's stuff we don't deserve. And Paul is saying, it's, it's all undeserved. All of it. To the praise of his grace, to the praise of his glory. But when the Lord redeems us, he goes beyond simply redeeming us out of sin. It would have been grace for God to redeem us out of sin and bring us into eternal life and to make us his servants forever but he's gone beyond that. Right at the end of verse four, in love he predestined us for adoption, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. In Christ, God not only has forgiven us, he has adopted us. He's made us his kids. He's made us his children. He's actually adopted us into the family. Um, in the ancient world, in the Roman world, adoption worked a little bit differently in ways, um, in part because for us today, for the most part, when we think about adoption, we're mainly thinking about people under 18. Like when you're adult, an adult, you don't necessarily need to have a, a designated guardian, right? But for, um, 
For, for example, for a young man in the Roman world, even in his 30s, um, he, he may still have been under the authority of his father, of his paterfamilias, and bearing his name and representing his father out in the world about his father's business. And, and sometimes, if someone without a, an, an heir took a, a liking to a young man, he would adopt him. There's some Caesars who did this, right, who didn't have an heir, who would then adopt this young man, maybe their nephew or something, and you're actually going to come into my family you're going to take my name and you're going to take my inheritance. And that's, that's what adoption signified in that sense. Two things, identity and inheritance. Identity like you don't bear the name of your birth family anymore, you bear my name. You represent me. And, and now you inherit all that I have. All that I have is, is yours, will be yours. And this too is exactly what has been done for us in Jesus. We've been given a new identity and we've been given an eternal inheritance. We've been given a new identity in that everything that we were before knowing Jesus no longer defines us in the way that it did before. We're still identified in certain ways in terms of earthly identities, but your deepest identity, if you are a Christian, is that you belong to Jesus. You bear his name now. You're, you're in the family. You bear the name of the father. You've been adopted in that sense. And that's wonderfully assuring if we struggle to believe that we could really be accepted in the presence of the father. Right? Would he, could he really let me in? Right? Think about like going into the throne room of a great king. Will they open the door for me? It's like, yeah, you're his kid. You belong to him. You're his son. This is the assurance we have. You're his son, you're his daughter. Uh, he says sons here. Adopt him to, adopted to himself as sons. And it's, um, there's times in scripture where the, the gendered language matters. Like there's a way in which all of us are members of the bride of Christ. You all are bride, man or woman. And there's a way in which, actually, as Christians, you all are sons of God, you're sons and daughters, but even you daughters are sons in the sense that, in the ancient world, it was the sons who inherited. And so you, all of you, are inheritors in that sense. All of us have received the inheritance of God. Apostle Paul puts it elsewhere by saying that we are actually co-heirs with Christ. Christ is the son of the Father, and we receive the inheritance of Christ with him. This is what Paul is speaking about um, in verse 14, that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And what, are, what is our inheritance? Heaven and home. And eternity in the presence of God. Joy forevermore. Peace with God forever. This is what Peter speaks about in 1 Peter 1. He says that we've been born again, 1 Peter 1 verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. A time is coming and will soon come when Jesus will return. He will judge the living and the dead and he will bring in a new creation and there will be a new heavens and a new earth 
and all things will be made new, and he will wipe every tear from every eye, and we who know him will live with him there forevermore. And we will know the joy of his presence. And in a similar way to in Genesis, remember God made Adam and Eve and he makes the world and he puts them in it and he gives it to them, right? Be fruitful, multiply, exercise authority, exercise dominion. This is yours. He makes them kings and queens. He says the world is yours. And there's a way in which that's actually what will that's what will be given to us in the new creation. That original role will be restored and we will be given the kingdom. We won't be, Christ will still be our king, the Father will still be our Lord, but um, in that sense we will receive eternal blessing in the eternal kingdom. This is incredible. All of this piled up should blow us away as we consider it all. The kindness of God to us in our sin. The kindness of God in forgiving us. The kindness of God in sending Jesus. The goodness of God in adopting us into his family. The goodness of God in, in promising us this eternal inheritance, an inheritance which outweighs any riches this world can afford. The eternal plan of God is for the blessing of his chosen people in Jesus Christ all to his glory. What's wrong with those people who are constantly talking about the goodness of God? They believe this. They actually believe it. And they believe it down to the core of their bones. And it's their, it's their basic joy is to know the blessing of God in Jesus Christ. My prayer is that that would be our basic joy to sit in and to celebrate the lavish goodness and grace of our God to us in Jesus Christ today, tomorrow, this week, until we see his face and forevermore. This will be our joy. Amen? Amen. May, it, may it be in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's stand together and praise our God. Praise God from whom Jesus forever and ever.